Do you know a high schooler who is a natural leader and loves to give back to their community? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Student Visionaries of the Year program might be the perfect opportunity. Forming strong teams to support them, Student Visionaries of the Year candidates fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This seven-week philanthropic leadership development program helps students gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Not to mention, it looks great on college applications. But most importantly, it's a chance for students to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Saturday, July 17th. And you know, we love to bring you the weekend interview. And today, I'm really excited about this because let me be clear, I didn't know anything about this dude. We were running late on our interview with Katie Milkman and she's like, oh my God, I have to go. Um, I, I'm late for this call. And I'm like, all right, just five more minutes. And she's like, okay. She goes, actually, you should interview this guy. His name is Lighty Klotz because Lighty has just written a great book. It's called Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. And that whole idea, and you know, I love this concept because we've talked about this with Cal Newport. Now we're talking about this. We were talking about a little bit of the behavioral stuff with Katie Milkman. And so I just into this concept of, you know, how people can sort of harness their lizard brains and do something a little bit better with those brains. We started the interview with a conversation with Lighty about how we as human beings are inclined to add stuff. And so I hope you enjoy this. It's counterintuitive, but I think you're going to like it. So here is part one of our interview with Lighty Klotz. Can you talk a little bit about the, the human inclination to add things and why that can lead us astray sometimes? Yeah. I mean, long story short is after tens of thousands of hours of, of research that I did with collaborators, I mean, we found that the way our brain works is we, we default to thinking about what we can add to a situation. And it's not just closets, right? When we encounter a situation, whether it's whether it's your room, whether it's your portfolio, whether it's your to-do list or your calendar for the week, 
our first instinct is to think, hey, what can we add to this thing to make it better? And oftentimes we add and keep going. And it takes more effort to think of subtraction. It's not that we can't subtract, but left to our own devices, we often, you know, kind of succumb to this default tendency, which is to think about adding first and then move on, which can be which can be damaging. That's the first chapter of the book. And then knowing knowing that this is happening, how do you investigate it? What might be the biological reasons, cultural reasons, and economic reasons for it too? Can you explain or at least tell the story about the Lego story with your kid and and also weave in a little bit of the fact that you started your life as a civil engineer. And so I have a brother-in-law and a father-in-law who are civil engineers, and I found this fascinating. So I immediately sent your book over to my brother-in-law to read. So talk a little bit about the Lego and civil engineering and your background and how that has played into your research. Yeah, I mean, so I came to this not from a pure behavioral science standpoint. I'm a, an engineer by training and designer. And so I, I think about big objects, uh, civil engineering bridges and and highways and, and buildings in particular. You know, I'd always like kind of like the minimalist modern designs, right? Hey, that building looks really cool. And what looks cool about it is the fact that it's not ornate, right? It doesn't have all these bells and whistles. It's just really stripped down. The form follows the function, as they say. You know, I was always curious about like, why doesn't that happen more, right? Why, why isn't there, aren't there more like cool examples like that out there in the world? And so subtracting is obviously one way to get there. Uh, I didn't really realize that until we kind of layered the behavioral science on top of the engineering background. And one of the the epiphany that um, you know my my son, who's now six, is is getting famous for. So he he walks into his school and he's like, "I am teaching the world how to subtract," which is hilarious <laughs> because so. And this is a totally true story, but you couldn't make up a better origin story for the book. Um, I, he was three at the time, and we were building with Legos, which he does a lot of. I think any kid does, especially one whose father is a engineer. Um, so we're building with Legos. And we're making a bridge, basically. And the problem we had was the bridge wasn't level. And so one of the columns was longer than the other column. So I went to improve the situation, which is the fundamental thing we're talking about here, by adding a block. So I turned around behind me to grab a block. By the time I had turned back around, my three-year-old had removed a block from the longer column and solved the problem in the same way. And like I said, I'd always been interested in like kind of this end state, these like elegant designs. But it never been able to like boil it down to that that act of taking something away. That was not just an, a mental epiphany for me, but then I could literally carry the Lego bridge around, and that's actually how I convinced one of my collaborators, Gabe Adams, to to work with me on this because I I had been talking to Gabe, and she had just kind of never bit. It was that that sounds neat, Lady, but I'm not going <laughs> to spend my time on it. Um, and uh, but then I brought the Lego bridge to her. And set it down on her desk, asked her to to solve it. I thought she would subtract because she's a genius. And I thought I'd been talking to her about subtracting. But she she added like I did. And then when I said, hey, look, look this is what Ezra did. And she said, oh, oh. So what you're thinking about is like, why don't we subtract as a way to make things better? And that's like the jumping off point for the research and and for the book. And it's so interesting because, I mean, you sort of start this about the Embarcadero freeway Mm -hmm. story, which I found really interesting because I forgot that the story, which was there was this kind of ugly, disgusting thing and it was up. And then after that horrible earthquake in the late 80s, 
this whole desire to get rid of it. And then after the, it, it took this terrible earthquake to, because this whole thing pancaked down on itself. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh wait, this woman who had the idea of like, let's get rid of it. She was right, but it took that. So I'm wondering, okay, so I'm talking to you from the Upper West Side in New York, okay? Yeah, yeah. And so I live, I sort of abut the old West Side Highway that has this old sort of structure above, but they won't get rid of it. And it drives me insane why we don't get rid of it. It really does. And I said like, oh, all I need is like some horrible thing happening and that's why we get rid of it. But (laughs) why is it so, is it costly to take it down? Like what happens? What's the pushback? I don't really get it because it's, you know, it's sort of like everyone's like, oh, this is an eyesore, but why not get rid of it? The issue there is not, we didn't think of it, right? And so like the science that I just talked about that, you know, was in the My Nature paper and starts the book is that like, hey, oftentimes we don't think of it. But then subtracting faces a battle, even even when we do think of it, it's harder to follow through with in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, we, we like things that we have, right? Once we've, once we've been given something, we assign more value to it than if we never had it in the first place. And so, you know, change is hard. Um, and it's, it's hard to, to take things away and to see that as an improvement. One of the things that can become helpful there is like, you know, envisioning what the, the future state would look like what Marie Kondo does with our closets, for example, is she kind of flips it around so that people aren't focused on losing the the things, right? The clutter. She paints this picture in their head for them of this beautiful decluttered space that you're going to achieve if you follow her steps. And by doing that, she kind of flips it around so that what you're losing in that case is not the not the physical object, but that kind of visionary end state. So I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, in the absence of an earthquake in New York City, Jill, you could <laughs> figure out a way to kind of portray the West Side Highway without that um, and, you know, paint a picture and get that out into the into the world. And then um, and then people will feel like they're losing that if they don't take it down. But it, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard um, to, to subtract even when we do think of it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned this briefly just before you said something about, you know, investing. So this is a show that is called Jill on Money. We talk a lot to investors Mm -hmm. and oftentimes we'll talk to people and they're like, well, I have, you know, 72 different mutual (laughs) funds in my portfolio. Right. (laughs) We will often say like, really? You need four. Four is plenty. And there is often a pushback. So what's a good way for me to try to break through that with people who are struggling with it? One of these things that kind of holds us back is is this desire to show competence, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we think of that in terms of, oh, I'm, I'm at work. I want my boss to see I'm like going to this meeting or I want to, you know, when I write my book, for example, it's like there's tens of thousands of words that didn't make it into the book. And it was painful to get rid of those because I, I wrote them. I wanted somebody to see that I wrote them, even though it didn't like serve the book. So, so we have this innate desire to, to display competence and it's actually surprisingly deeply ingrained on this, like bower birds who build the ceremonial nests. They do this, the male bower birds will build a ceremonial nest and the female bower birds will go around and decide which male to mate with based on which ceremonial nest is the best. And then the female bower birds go and build a nest to provide shelter for their kids. All that's happening there is the male bower bird is displaying competence, showing that they're genetically fit to kind of act on the world around them. 
And I think, you know, the portfolio is kind of the same thing, right? It's like you've got, you know, well, if, if four stocks is or four mutual funds is good, then 75 mutual funds, I must be really competent if I have 75 mutual funds. Mm-hmm. So um, I think kind of like breaking down that, that feeling that like, hey, just, just adding more is a way to show competence. And in fact, four is, you know, I think you probably help your listeners with that by explaining why four is, in fact, basically equivalent to 75 in terms of how diversified you are, um, and also easier to manage. And so it's like flipping it around so that this streamlined less is actually a better a better version of, of competence. I think one other thing to remember there is that it's harder to show competence by subtracting. You know, if you take away one mutual fund from 75 down to 74, it's like nobody's even going to notice the difference in what you did there. But if you take away from 75 down to four, then it's like, oh, that's a really streamlined portfolio. This person must really know what they're doing. And so one of the lessons in the book is, you know, this happens in all different areas is like, people who subtract effectively and keep persisting with their subtracting, like do so beyond the point of just like good enough, but to, to get even better, often they're able to show their competence through less. Okay. Thanks so much for listening tomorrow. We're going to get more into the next part of this, which is now we know why we add. Now let's talk about how we're going to subtract. That will be tomorrow in the second part of our interview with Lydie Klotz. As always, if you have a financial question, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is askjill at jillonmoney.com. If you're on our website, jillonmoney.com, just hit the contact button. And while you're there, don't forget that you can always subscribe to us. It's right there on our website to both this podcast as well as our sister broadcast, which is called Eye on Money. Ah, so easy to do. Everything is right there at jillonmoney.com. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back today. And don't forget, our mantra of 2021 is grit, growth, grace. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.